Philippians chapter 1. Now, verses 6 and 7 are still part of the same sentence that we looked at last week. Remember I told you we were going to look at half the sentence, and we're going to finish it and look at... Then he adds verse 8, which is a real short sentence there. But last week we saw Paul's remembrance of the Philippians in verse 3, his prayer for the Philippians in verse 4, and then Paul's fellowship with them in verse 5. So let's look at verses 6 through 8 this morning in a message titled, Working Together with Other Believers. Verse 6, Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, Ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look first at Paul's confidence in Christ. Paul's confidence in Christ. Then we'll see Paul's concern for the Philippians. And then end with Paul's commendation, commendation of the Philippians. We must place our confidence in Christ as we labor together. And that's how we can labor together, is by putting our confidence in Jesus Christ and not in man. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray again you teach us to work together with other believers, being truly confident in our Savior. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, being confident. The idea is to be persuaded. Do we have a complete confidence in Jesus Christ? Now, the quick answer most people are going to give is, well, of course so. Then why, when trials come, do we doubt? Do we fear? Do we turn to others? Why, so often in life, do we not show the confidence in Christ that we claim we have in Christ? If I have a true confidence in Christ, then I don't have to worry and fret about it, right? You know, when you're driving your car, every bridge you come to, you don't stop and go out and inspect the bridge before you drive over. You have a confidence that that bridge is going to hold you, and you just keep right on driving, don't you? How do you know the last time that bridge was inspected? How do you know the structural integrity of that bridge. You just assume that it's going to. Yet when it comes to Jesus Christ, the God of all eternity, we sit there and we, we pause and we question way too often. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, everything in this world seems to be changing. It's nice to have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ, the one who does not change. And if he is consistent, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we read through the scriptures, we see that he has all power. Why then should we not be fully persuaded and have a full confidence in Jesus Christ? Whether it be going through an illness, whether it be the loss of a loved one, whether it be financial difficulty, Why do we sit there and we sometimes waver in our faith? Well, God, I trust you for everything else, but not this. 
I am thankful that God is one who hears and answers prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is a confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So Paul says, being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now what's this good work that he's performing in us? He that hath begun a good work in you. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yes, the Bible does teach predestination, but it's not the way some theologians teach predestination. It's not predestined to heaven or predestined to hell. What God has predestinated is that you, Christian, from the moment you are saved, God has begun a good work in you, the sanctification process that we're talking about on Wednesday nights, of conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. God wants to take everything about you that does not appear as his son and cut that out of your life. So again, then, when God is trying to take something out of my life or put something in my life, again, I can have confidence that he's doing what is best because he wants me conformed to the image of Christ. He doesn't want me conformed to the image of this world. I'm not to fit the world's mold. I'll tell you what, the world is trying to stuff you into a mold and get you to think a certain way. It doesn't matter where you go, the world's agenda is stuffed in your face. We need to be cognizant of it, and we need to reject it, and we need to stand for what God has told us to and be conformed to the image of Christ, thereby our light shining brighter and brighter as the world gets darker and darker. But it says, being confident in this very thing, he which has begun a good work in you will perform it or will carry it to completion. Aren't you glad God's going to finish the work that he started? Now, Christian, you and I, as we submit to him, will allow him to continue that work in our lives, will we not? See, this is not talking about the work of salvation because that's already done. That's done when Jesus Christ died on the cross. When he died, was buried, and rose again, the price of salvation was paid, was it not? And when I received Christ as my Savior, it wasn't a process. It was a moment. I love the way Jesus describes salvation in John 3 of being born again. Because, okay, now some of you ladies may disagree. It's not a process, but you understand what I say. It's a moment, right? When the doctor writes down that time, this is when they were born. Now you say, yeah, well, I went through a process getting there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you that, okay? But it's a moment when they're born, and so it is being born again. I've talked to people who say, well, I'm in the process of getting saved. You know, I'm going through the process. What do you mean the process? But God has said he will finish what he started. 1 Samuel 3.12, In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. God's saying, look, what I said I'm going to do, I will do. And we can have confidence that God will accomplish what he said.
Again, as we see the world being turned upside down, we can still have a confidence Jesus Christ is coming again. You know why? He said he would. Now, we don't know when, but I do know one thing. He's coming again. It may be today. So are we fully persuaded that God will do what he says? Am I fully persuaded that God will do what he says? So when I get the bad news from the doctor that I have some kind of illness, am I fully persuaded that God, if he chooses, can heal, and if he doesn't choose to heal, will give the grace to endure? If I have a real hard time financially, and it's not because I have been frivolous with my money, okay, this does not excuse being frivolous with your money, but if I'm having a hard time financially, can I still trust God to provide my needs? Yes, I can. Why? Because he said he would. Now, that doesn't give me the excuse to go buy everything I want and just blow my money and say, well, then, God, you know, you need to take care of me. And I've met people who do that. And then they blame God. No, God never said, blow through all your money and I'll still meet your needs. By the way, what he was giving you the money for was to meet your needs. And if you wasted it, that's your fault, not his. So Paul starts with this confidence in Christ. Then secondly, Paul shows his concern for the Philippians. Even as meet for me to think this of you all. It's me. It's right. He says, it's right for me to think this of you all. It's right for us to have confidence in Christ to sanctify other Christians. He says, I know that Christ will do this in your life. How can Paul say that? Because Christ said he wants to, God, God wants, has predestinated to conform all Christians to the image of Christ. Not just some. You understand, God cares about you as an individual. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your needs. He cares about your desires. He knows, but he wants you to simply trust him. But you know what's interesting? As Paul is thinking of these Philippians, he's thinking of not all the personality quirks that they might have, or all the disagreements they might have, have had. But he's thinking they're, they're being sanctified in Christ. They're growing more Christ-like. Now let's go back to some of the first members of this church. A demonic girl, Lydia the seller of purple, a jailer. But he's watching them grow in Christ. I'd imagine a Roman jailer at the time probably was not a meek and mild guy. Probably a real tough guy, you know. I could see him, though, growing in the Lord and having, growing in a love for other believers. And Paul is rejoicing in this. The next phrase, he says, because I have you in my heart. Other saints should be dear to us. Have you in my heart. Now, I know many of you have been in other churches in the past. Are the people that you worship with there still dear in your heart today? I look back at when we were at Bethel Baptist Church, and I was in my 20s then, and now I'm almost 50, so that's a while ago. But some of those folks are still dear to me. Of course, I find out every year more and more of them have graduated. 
but <clears throat> that's okay. Now I'm starting to understand, and I, I imagine it only gets better from here on out, but I've talked to older folk who say heaven gets dearer all the time because you end up at getting to a point where you have more friends there than you do here. And I'm starting to understand because it's probably pretty balanced right now, but I can imagine the next couple of years is going to be more there than I have here. You know what I'm saying? But that's okay, right? Because we can have a hope in that. That, you know, someday, not only am I going to meet my Savior, which is going to be wonderful, and that's going to be more important than about what I'm ready to say, but I'm going to meet those friends again. The only one that concerns me, his name is Stu Woods. Stu was a jokester here on earth. He, he was a great guy. But I'm just afraid if God will allow him that when it's my turn to walk in, Stu's going to be sitting there, you know, whether he's pouring a bucket of water on me or throwing a pie in my face, and he's going to be sitting there laughing, ha, 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 welcome. Because <laughs> he, he's a joke. He's just that kind of guy, I'm telling you. But other than that, I'm really looking forward to heaven. But what about ones that you've led to Christ? Are they dear to you? Do you keep them in your heart? Our missionaries, one another here at church. You know, we have some folk here at church who really have some unique struggles of their own. Now, I'm not saying go be busybodies and try to find out who's who, okay? But as people share things with you, do you keep them dear in your heart and, and pray with them, pray for them? Because you and I, Christian, need to have a genuine concern for others. Too often in life, we get a mentality that the world adopts of others are there to use instead of others are there to love. This happens many times in the business world, does it not? A boss who really kind of loses touch with his employees, they're just there to kind of serve and get things done. I know none of you have ever worked for such a person, right? They couldn't care less what's happening in your personal life. What do you mean your mom just died? Suck it up. You're supposed to be at work. You know, those type people. Have we anybody here ever met anybody like that? Do we show a genuine concern and care for others? You know, when I ask you to sign up to serve in the church, when I remind you about being faithful and giving, it's not because I'm trying to use you. It's because I understand the blessings of serving and the blessings of giving and the blessings of obedience to Christ. And I want you to have experience those blessings in your life. I'm being serious about it. Now, yes, we do have work that needs to be done, okay? But that's kind of a side matter compared to being obedient to Christ. And should not part of the Christian life be being involved in our local church, serving in our local church, giving to our local church? Are these things not commanded? And so, truthfully, I say it for your benefit, not for mine. So Paul had a complete confidence in Christ. Christian, you and I should have the same confidence. Paul had a genuine concern for the Philippians. But now let's look, lastly, at Paul's commendation of the Philippians. Verse 7, Even as meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you all my heart, inasmuch both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are our partakers of my grace. 
You see, they stood by Paul when he was in bonds. Now, what had Paul done to be in prison? Preach the gospel. But could you imagine, I could only imagine, because human nature has not changed, that some people with whom Paul had come in contact, well, he deserved it. He must have obviously done something wrong. I mean, obviously they wouldn't arrest him if he did, didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, I knew there was something about that preacher. I knew it, and they found out. How many times do people not really get the facts before they start making judgments? How many times do we not get the facts before we start making judgments? I know every one of us has been guilty of that. But here the Philippians say Paul is imprisoned, but it was for preaching the gospel. The same as the crowd that cried, crucify Jesus Christ. For what? Well, they claim blasphemy, but he wasn't being blasphemous because he is the Son of God. Who, when Pilate gave him a choice between Barabbas and Jesus, chose Barabbas. Why? Because people do not want to hear the truth. There are many in this world, when you preach the truth to them, well, you're just judgmental. Well, you're just harsh. You don't love people. Somebody recently said, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I thought that's a good way to put it. We need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Because if we know the truth is that there is only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ, and we hide it from people, is that really showing them love? We're saying your feelings matter more than your eternity when we don't share the gospel with them. I'd rather not hurt your feelings today, something temporal, and see you go to hell for all eternity. That's essentially what we're saying. But they stood by Paul in his bonds. We need to stand by those who are faithfully serving Jesus Christ. But Paul says, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Defense is the same word from which we get apologetics. Apology doesn't mean he's apologizing for it. Okay? But he had a defense of the gospel. Can you defend what you believe? There's a whole, what do you call it, class, study, in theology called apologetics. And the whole class is on how to defend the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are true, are they not? And will always be true. But there are those in the world who want to deny the scriptures or question the scriptures. Can we offer defense that says, no, this is true and here's why. This is what the Bible says. Not what we want it to say, not what we hoped it would say, but here's what the Word of God says. As I said as we were going through the lessons on how to share the gospel, I believe this is why many are nervous to share their faith with others because they're afraid somebody might ask a question they don't know the answer to. Let me say several things. It's going to happen. And the answer then is, I don't know. But I will also say this. Many times the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom 
give you something to say that you never thought about at the moment. Again, it goes back to the confidence in Christ. You say, well, I don't believe that'll happen. Well, have a complete confidence in Christ because he's more concerned about souls than you are. And I promise you, it will happen if you're submitted to God, as you're sharing the gospel with others. All of a sudden, things are going to come to your mind that weren't there before. And that is God, I believe, placing them there because God is concerned about the individual soul. Don't you believe that? Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh uh, the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer. So here's the thing, Christian. If you say, I, I'm, I, I'm not comfortable giving the gospel to others, and you're not doing something about it to grow to a point where you are comfortable, or, or doing it anyhow, being ready to give an answer, and continuing to study the word, then you're disobeying God because God said, be ready always to give an answer. As I said, sometimes the proper answer is, I don't know. There have been times people have asked me questions, and I have to say, I don't know. Because you know what? I don't care how long you've been studying the Bible, nobody is a walking Bible encyclopedia. But he says, even as meat for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. You see, Paul shared with them the grace of God, did he not? But now they have taken this gift and sent it to Paul. They're sharing in the work of by, uh, Paul by providing for his needs. Now, Paul sometimes would do tent making, would he not? But the first missionary journey, we don't find Paul working at all. Where did the funds come from? You do realize he didn't travel for free, right? It probably came from the church at Antioch. But now that he's out and he started these other works, the church at Philippi realizes we received a blessing from Paul. Paul came here. What would we know of Christ if it wasn't for God using this man, Paul? Therefore, as Paul continues on his travels, as Paul continues to plant other churches, now at this point, Paul being imprisoned, not able to work, right? Let's help meet the needs of Paul. Let's send a gift to him. When missionaries come through here, we have a responsibility as a church to help meet the needs of those missionaries, especially during the week that they're here meeting their financial needs, right? Or however long they're here. But then also being able to partner with them and support them so that they can do the work to where God has called them. This church has been very gracious over the years and giving me a salary so that I can focus my time on study of the word and prayer and the ministry here. But that's how it's supposed to work, is it not? And so when we see the needs of others, let's again give out of a gracious heart, out of a willing heart and not grudgingly. Verse eight, Paul writes, for God is my record. How greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. God is my record. Aren't you glad God is keeping track? Some may think, well, that's kind of scary thought. Well, if it is, then maybe there's things in your life that need to change. But this will help us, Christian, understand that we don't always have to jump to our own defense. God is keeping track. 
Now, Paul, when he was given opportunity, did defend his position. But he says, God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says, I long after you. Do we long for Christian fellowship? Do we desire to be with other Christians? Now, maybe I should be saying this in the later service, because this is our faithful crowd here in the early morning service, but it amazes me how many think that Christian fellowship is, they take it for granted. Well, yeah, I come to church once a week. Maybe if they're real good, twice a week. You know, two services or whatever. But any of the extra activities we do, all the other services, eh, why? I ask why. Again, now yes, it is easier to preach to more faces, okay? But it's, again, not about me. It's about the fellowship with other believers. It's about hearing the Word of God preached. I mean, okay, so Ed mentioned Friday night, right? While we sat there for two hours watching a movie beforehand and afterward, and some of you during, so (laughs) that's okay, too, because I was talking, too, because I saw it before. But wasn't it nice to be with other, other Christians in fellowship and stuff our faces with pizza? and popcorn, and then get on the scales and wonder, what in the world happened there? (laughs) When we go out in the world, day after day after day, and we're bombarded with the filth of this world, you know, guys, you go to work, and, and all the men are just lusting after women, and talking about all the perverse things that they do, and talking about the weekend, and getting drunk, and doing all these stupid things, and and all this filth, and it's constantly bombarding you, and you try to turn on the news, and it's again just all this filth that they're trying to bombard you with. You go out in your uh, town, and you, you hear and see all this humanistic philosophy and, and whatever. Everywhere you go, you're being bombarded with it. Isn't it nice just to gather with other believers and have some good fellowship once in a while? then let's take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to do so. And while we're together then, Christian, let's then look for opportunities to be encouraging to one another, to help build each other up. And by the way, our Christian fellowship doesn't have to be limited to just church events. There used to be a day when I was a boy when we had Sunday night church. Now, we don't have that here, I get it. But we have all afternoon to do this now, the way we do it here. But after Sunday night church, everybody would go over to somebody's house. And we would go to some, you know, one, night, one weekend it'd be so-and-so, and we'd all go over to their house, and we'd, all the kids, we'd be out playing, the adults be inside, I don't know, probably eating because we're Baptist. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> or playing games or whatever. And then the next week would be our house, and the following week would be somebody else's house, and the following week somebody else's house. And we just enjoyed times of fellowship. You know, now we live in a society where if I asked half the people in this room, including myself, what are the neighbors on both sides of you? I couldn't tell you. The reason why I couldn't tell you, I do know the one, but the others just moved in and haven't been able to meet them yet, okay? But the point being this is we don't even know our own neighbors anymore. We've become so isolated from others now again i'm not saying have you know the same fellowship with your neighbors that you would with other believers but how are you going to reach them if you don't even know who they are 
We need to go out and we need to talk to other folks. But we act like our houses are these fortresses where nobody else is allowed in anymore. Instead of a place where we invite others over to have time of fellowship. I mean, you know, the living room used to not be about a big TV. Now, I got a big TV in my living room. Some of you have been there. You've seen it. I got it because I'm blind and one eye can't see out of the other, so I can see it from the other side of the room, right? But it used to be about a place to sit and talk with others. Of course, you did that on the front porch, too. Because, you know, you go way back, way back, wow, not, not but 100 years, before TV and radio, if you wanted to have fellowship with people, this is really weird. You had to be in the same room. You still do today. Although we claim that we can do it over Zoom and all these other electronic ways. You didn't have a radio talking in your ear all the time. You didn't have a TV sitting there all the time. If you wanted to hear from other people, you had to be there with them. We've lost something in that. We should have a desire to be with other Christians and have that sweet fellowship. So we've seen we should be working together with other Christians. Paul was able to, because of his confidence in Christ, his concern for the Philippians, and then he commended the saints of Philippi. Are we laboring together, having a confidence in Christ as we serve?